But with, with that, I want to turn it over to you, Simon. Uh, I know a lot of people want to share their, their screens. Uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, do that if you'd like, or I'll flip. And Simon has been, a, as I say, he's a poster child. Many uh, many ways, he's, he's engaged, he, he invests, he's involved with philanthropies, and he's intellectually uh, curious and, uh, and he's a doer. So thank you, Simon. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, I hope you hear me well. And thank you for your um, video, because it kind of showed to us the advantage of 5G, because <laughs> right. with 5G you wouldn't have these problems. So, dear all, thank you uh, for joining us for the 5G Primer Deep Dive. My name is Simon Vine, and it is my honor to introduce, to introduce the 5G series of deep dives to the members and guests of 361 Firm. We are grateful to Mark for supporting this initiative. Those of us who prepared the session uh, like to pride ourselves on its name, 5G, the money machine. It surely attracted many, but to be honest, we misled some of you because we forgot the question mark at the end of the sentence. Today's event will be split into five sessions. Keynote speakers Rudiger and Frank will share with us 5G 101, then we'll have uh, <clears throat> a coffee break in breakout rooms, then Nitin will help us understand the public market angle of 5G, his section will be followed by a champagne break in breakout rooms. <laughs> and finally, we'll have, we'll have the panel with our incredible keynote speakers and other as passionate and experienced 5G insiders. We hope that throughout the sessions, you'll be active on our chat. Your questions will be either answered in real time or addressed by the panel at the end. And something else. We hope that this event will evoke a fantasy that you are back traveling in Europe because all but two of our speakers are European. Yes, there are still people living in Europe. Generally speaking, when a major new tech trend begins, investments are made in four waves. First infrastructure, then devices, then services, then content. 5G infrastructure construction is at the peak right now. iPhone 12 with 5G capabilities is also out. Soon the software, services, and content markets will follow. The evolution in performance will create new markets. For example, 5G provide, will provide other things, ultras, among other things, ultra speed, and low latency capabilities. Ultra high speed means performance of 5G will be the first time that a mobile operator will be on a par with a fixed line teleco. This will create enormous opportunities and new business models uh, because we will be able to watch live sports, movies, and other video content on mobile devices. When an autonomous vehicle is traveling at 80 miles per hour, even a, low, a little latency in telecom speeds can cause a major accident. 5G will solve this problem. 5G will spread like a tsunami. For instance, in Japan, the number of 5G users 
will exceed that of 4G by 2025. And in the meantime, 5G will become a backbone of a vast number of other technologies and a driver of many industries. Therefore, those of you on the call today and who will join our future deep dives will learn firsthand the hottest investment drivers. With this, I thank you again for joining us and pass the baton to our first keynote speaker, Rudiger Köster. Rudiger, the mic is yours. Thank you very much for the introduction. Let me just share the slides. All right. <clears throat> Hope you can see them. And of course, it's a it's a big challenge to explain 5G in 15 minutes, so it can only be high level. Uh, but I think the major points of 5G, Simon, uh, this um, uh, said already. So 5G, of course, is the next generation of mobile communication networks. And therefore, please let me start to give you a little overview about the history of mobile networks. It is a little bit from a European view, of course. Simon said we are from Europe, so sorry if this is a bit European-centric, but it's not so different in the U.S., of course. Um, so 5G networks started in the end of 1970s uh, with 1G, and of course the first mobile networks were just for voice. So it was an analog network and mainly for voice, very low usage and not many users on the network, of course. The first digital network was 2G, and that was also the first network was was already standardized, uh, at least in Europe and part of the world. But this was also still very voice-centric. But we had already the first invention was the short message service, so we had the capability to send text as well. And this was actually also the time when I started in mobile communication, so I was part of standardizing 2G in Europe. And I was also part of rolling out 2G GSM in Germany. Of course, everybody was looking for the next generation. And I can tell you the generations are mainly every 10 years. So every 10 years, we have a new, a new standard, more or less. And 3G came in about 2000. 2G was in 1990. And 3G started around 2000. So with 3G, we had first time the capability of real data. So 2G had some data, but that was just GPRS or Edge, but it was very low, slow, so nobody was really capable to use it. And also the phones have not real capability to use data. 3G was first time when we introduced data, which was fast enough really to browse in the internet. And here, of course, Steve Jobs with his new phone was really a driver for using this data. And of course, this killed a lot of different uh, players in the market like Nokia, who was really dominant at the time in the mobile phone sector. But with a new phone, with a touch screen and with a smartphone capability, that was really changed the market completely. And data became really a part of communication. And so the handset became also really a device people were carrying around using for searching the internet and so on and so on. You know the story. So, but of course, 3G cap capacity were exhausting. Therefore, the next generation had to be introduced. That was 4G. And 
4G actually was, it's also called LTE, and 4G was the first time that we had really a worldwide standard. So up to 3G, there were really a mixture of standards, like in the US, for example, you had the CDMA 2000, um, and in Europe, we had the UMTS based on wideband CDMA technology, but 4G was really a worldwide standard, and 4G was also the first time that voice was not on a separate channel anymore, but voice became really a data a data driven solution as well. So voice over IP was part of the next, the fourth generation in mobile communication. 4G was also the first time that the data rate, the bit rate was fast enough to use it as mobile broadband really. So like for, for example, in Austria where I'm living, in Austria, we used mobile broadband really to substitute fixed network because the fixed networks in Austria were partially slower than mobile networks. And therefore mobile broadband became really a big driver of data usage. And also if you, of course, mobile broadband has a big advantage. There's no cable attached. You can use it everywhere. And therefore it's of course quite comfortable. You use it in the car, you use it in a plane or use it on, on a train. And 4G also brought first time the capability of real machine to machine communication. So internet of things became much more usable in 4G and much more distributed. So we had first applications on 4G using machine to machine communication. That is more or less today still the standard. And, but of course we needed the next network because also 4G were running out of capacity and also capabilities because we needed new standards to have faster networks, more responsible networks, responsive networks, which are much faster also in response times. And therefore 5G was invented. 5G actually doesn't have an own name. So we had GSM or tech networks at the beginning. We had LTE, UMTS networks, 5G is just 5G. So we have a new 5G standard now. And 5G, of course, first of all, it's a sum of all of it, but it offers much more capabilities. So first of all, quite important, it has the capability to serve much more devices in a certain area. So for this, in this example, sorry for the square kilometers, we are still counting in kilometers in, in Europe. So the square kilometer, it's more, it's about a million devices. Um, that means also you can use it for massive IoT. That means you have a lot of devices in the field which can be served by 5G. Secondly, very important, it has much more capacity. So it won about 1,000 times the capacity of the 4G network. This is actually not just because of better and new technology. That is actually mainly because of more spectrum. Because for 5G, there's a new spectrum available, and this spectrum is more or less the same spectrum as for all other um, generations of mobile communication together. That means, again, an example in, in Europe, uh, in Austria, for example, we bought a 100 megahertz spectrum last year. So 100 megahertz is really a huge amount of spectrum which can be used. But, and we will talk about this more later, that is of course also a huge investment. Spectrum is very, very expensive as you all know. And that means buying a lot of bunch of spectrum which is not used from the very beginning is a huge investment into the future. So the operators have to invest quite a lot into the networks before they can really start. Speed, of course, much more speed also per each single user. Uh, 5G offers up to 10 gigabit, for example, 
on data speed. Uh, and that allows, of course, a lot of different new use cases and new use cases. And as said already, the latency, so the response time of the network is much shorter. And as Simon said at the beginning, this is more or less what today fixed line uh, service, all, say fixed line networks offers as well. But of course, without a cable, without a wire connector. So that means you can use it everywhere, anytime. And that, of course, offers a lot of new possibilities for the use case, and it's much easier to roll out because you don't need to have somebody assembling a new cable at home, somebody come to connect you, and you can use it everywhere. So this is, of course, a very big advantage of mobile communication. If we have a look into the capabilities, so what does 5G offer? 5G offers, of course, first of all, enhanced mobile broadband, means simply faster bit, bit rates and more capacity. So that means we have extreme data rates, we have much more capacity per area, and that allows people to use higher bandwidth and higher band rates everywhere, anywhere. Massive Internet of Things, as I said already, high density of nodes, ultra low complexity means also uh, 5G offers also very low data rates. For example, if you have a specific sensor which is just sending some bits time uh, per day, that is also a feature of 5G because that allows ultra low energy devices which maybe have a battery lifetime of 10 years. For example, for park sensors to, to have to see if there's a car on the street or not, you can use this low, low capacity sensors. Um, it can also come with it comes with a deep coverage that depends of course a lot on the bandwidth which you are using but 5G has a big spectrum of bandwidth which you can use and therefore you can use it also in very hard to reach areas. Mission critical very important possible of course as well. It has a strong security much better than the previous networks of course. Um, it has a ultra high reliability that means the packet loss is very low. That means you have very high security and very high reliability. Ultra low latency, as I said already, um, down to a millisecond. That's very challenging. Let's say at least less than five milliseconds, but that allows almost all applications already to be run over 5G. And it is also extreme user mobility. So it can be used up to, for example, 300 kilometers per hour. That means ultra-fast trains and fast moving objects can be served by 5G as well. So based on these capabilities, we can have a look into the actual use cases. And when we go through the use cases, you will see these are all user-centric use cases. So you, will, you can ask later where's the operator and where's the business model for the operator. And maybe Frank will in the second speech talk about more from the operator point of view. And we can discuss later where the business case is. So let's look into the use cases for the user of the network. So first of all, 5G enables industrial automation, of course. It is a great technology for campuses and for, for production sites because it can be used in-house. It has a high reliability, short response times. So this is really important for machine to machine and production lines. Secondly, in smart cities, so digitalization of cities, of course, is very easy to, uh, to be implemented by 5G, smart cities, mobility, 
connectivity for citizens, emergency workers, construction workers that all can be served by 5G. Drones, of course, as well, because 5G is fast enough and capable enough to steer drones. And we have shown that in, in, when I was a CTO in Austria, uh, we were able to steer a drone by 5G so that you don't need any, any other connection to the drone. It can be fully steered by 5G. And that helps, of course, also for emergency cases and delivery purposes and so on. Uh, certainly defense as well. Everybody, every, everything, every time when there's a new technology, defense will use it, of course, as well. Uh, so 5G can give, of course, with these capabilities, also possibilities for defense and, and police, for example, because 5G is a capability to separate different networks. It's a, it's a, it's a quite famous slicing of the network. That means you get very secure slices in the network, which are only, uh, um, um, only, only detected for a certain purpose. Uh, retail warehouses, of course, as well, similar to industry auto, uh, industri industrial automation, healthcare, very important here because due to the short response time and the high reliability, 5G applications can also be used for healthcare purpose. Uh, live events, for example, uh, for virtual reality or to have a specific high capacity in a certain stadium where, you, where many, many people are located. So you can use it in this kind of, in this kind of, of events, for this kind of events. Uh, smart agriculture, you can steer um, uh, farming uh, uh, machines uh, with 5G. Uh, you can track a cow if a cow is somewhere and you don't know where it is. You can track where the cow is, or you can even track if the cow is pregnant or not, pregnant or not, or if the cow has a problem. So this kind of applications can be done with 5G, of course, as well. And for home usage, due to the high capacity and high speed and short response time, um, 5G, of course, offers a lot of gaming AR, VR capabilities for kids and home usage. But also for cars, for example, as we all know, uh, cars are more and more um, um, uh, automatic driven, driven, steered. So if you can, if you use uh, home office in the car, or if kids are in, in the back of the car, want to use uh, uh, gaming or video uh, streaming, that is of course also possible via 5G. So as you can see, 5G offers a big variety of different applications and possibilities. And um, the good thing is here that there's no wire connected. That means you can have a device and you can implement a device which can be used everywhere. It's a worldwide standard, so it can be used uh, in all different parts of the world. And therefore, it offers a lot of opportunities for uh, startups, for smaller companies uh, which would like to sell not just in a certain area, but maybe more worldwide. And that offers a lot of capabilities due to the, to the standardized user interfaces and standardized interfaces in 5G. So what about the networks? I talked briefly about it. We all talked about the use cases for the user, but uh, the networks, of course, are also very important because the network is the enabler and, and, and 5G has to be rolled out by the network operators. And here's a little bit the difficulty, and because as I said, first you have to spend a huge amount of money for the spectrum, then you have to spend a huge amount of money for rolling out the networks, because uh, all these use cases can only be used if you have a nationwide 
or more or less nationwide coverage. Uh, that, of course, is quite challenging because you have to invest a lot of money before it, this kind of services can be uh, used nationwide. Again, let's start with the use cases here. A lot of different use cases. In the past, it all has been served by different kind of networks. In the past, we had an IoT network. We had a couple of private uh, networks, uh, Wi-Fi networks. We had a fixed network. We have mobile networks with different standards. But all these use cases should be served in the future just by one future 5G network. Still, we have different access networks. We have a 5G network, which still has to be rolled out because it's just, just started to roll out 5G networks. We have still Wi-Fi networks, we have fixed networks, we have 4G networks, but the 5G standard allows to connect them all to one single core. And that, of course, has already a big advantage because more or less 5G helps to, to combine all the old legacy access networks and bring them together with one 5G core network. And that network, of course, can serve all the different vertical business uh, we talked about. So that is, at the end, also a simplification for the, for the operators, because here with 5G, we have the first time that really mobile and fixed and also local networks are converging into one standard. Let me briefly talk about the health discussion because I'm, I'm in mobile communication since 30 years and, and this is part of my daily life since 30 years. And uh, with 5G, of course, there's coming up again the same discussions. Is it, is it risky? Is it, is it, uh, is it, um, um, yeah, does it harm you? Um, and what I would like, I cannot, discuss it holistically, of course, because this is a very lengthy discussion, but just to give you a brief idea of what we are talking about. So mobile radio is one out of plenty use cases of electromagnetic waves. So mobile communication is simply one slot of electromagnetic waves from the wide spectrum of electromagnetic waves. And if you look at the whole range, um, of radiation. You have non-ionizing radiation and you have ionizing radiation. Um, this is from radio waves, microwaves, infrared waves, up to X-rays, gamma rays. And if you look at the, at the sources of this kind of different electromagnetic waves, you will see that at the very low end you have the, the radio station, the TV stations, uh, which are in, in kilohertz spectrum. Uh, then you have FM radio in megahertz, you have microwave, uh, you have radar, you have humans, people. People also have some kind of radiation. And you have a very small area here, which is a visible light. So this is really a very small piece of the full uh, range of electromagnetic waves. And then, it, of course, it goes up to X-ray machines and also to uh, electronic collision machines, which, of course, are highly ionizing and, and, of course, very dangerous. If you look at the frequencies, as said, it goes from kilohertz up to, uh, to terahertz and light. It's, it's, uh, I think it's 500 terahertz. And uh, if you look at the energy, and that is also important because the energy of visible light, for example, is one million times stronger than a photon of a mobile, mobile radio. So this is the energy electro, electron balls per single 
photon. And here you see as well that, and it's written here as well, the photon of mobile radio is one million times lower uh, than the visible light, for example. Also, if you compare classical radio towers, the FM and AM radios, the, the railway, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, no, the broadcasting stations, their stations usually sending with up to and more than 100,000 watt versus a mobile radio, which is usually less than 50 watt. So that also shows you that in the history and, and the, these broadcasting stations are around since maybe 100 years and they're sending with, with much, much, much higher uh, energy than a normal uh, mobile radio station. If you look at the antenna power density, and this is now the standard, so the, the wave power density per square meter of a mobile communication tower um, should not be more than 10 watt per square meter. If you compare it, for example, with visible light and a sunny, a sunny day, you have around about 1,000 times higher energy per square meter than a radio station. So sunlight generates about 1,000 watt per square meter, whereas mm -hmm. the wave power density of an antenna has to be lower than 10 watt, for example. The oh. other... The, the other source is the mobile, the mobile, uh, of course, the cell phone itself. And here it's measured in specific energy absorption rate. It's a so-called SAR value. And the SAR value measures how much, how much the temperature close to the, to the phone is increasing. And the, the impact is measured here if, if you increase the temperature by one degree, um, then this is this is the measurement, and the measurement for uh, for a mobile is 50 times lower. So 50 times below the measurable value. This is this is the maximum what a cell phone is allowed to send, and that is lower than two watt per kilogram. Um, but usually a handset is much much lower than 0.6 watt per kilogram. So this shows you a little bit, and uh, as said, explaining this in a minute, it's very hard. But this shows you, and the example with the light helps me always a lot. So mobile radio is one million times less energy than a visible light photon. And also, if you look at sunlight, <laughs> sunlight, for example, is a 1,000 watt per square meter, whereas uh, antennas are sending with less than 10 watt per square meter. So this should give you a brief idea about how about electromagnetic wave usage, and as I said, there are plenty of use cases, of course, and mobile radio is just one single piece of it. All right, so that should should end my short short keynote, and I would like to hand over to Frank, who will tell you a little bit more probably about the difficulties of a network operator. Thank you a lot. Right, thank you, Rudia, for handing over. If you just uh, let me share my screen briefly. Here we go. Give me a second. Right, so thank you very much for having me here. I'm really excited to talk uh, in front of this audience here, um, which is great. 
However, I have to warn you because I'm the guy who is now pouring some water into the wine <laughs> and looking uh, at the whole 5G from a little bit another perspective. And that is uh, the perspective from the mobile network operators. Because I think, you know, um, any generation can be a success if the ecosystem is healthy. And the ecosystem starts somehow with the network operators, right? So that's the guys who build the networks. And if that works, probably the rest of the ecosystem can develop. So I will have a look at a little bit at economics uh, from the economic side and also from the from the history side, because we can learn from history sometimes. Now, see, that's the picture Rüdiger, in a sense, already shared. Um, and he said it rightly. So every 10 years, there is a new generation, right? It's nearly exactly every 10 years. Now, that's what we learned from Rüdiger already. Now, if we have a look what happens in the networks during these times, and that is a picture which might look a bit complicated on the first glance, but let me guide you through. Um, so we had the 3G launch, UMTS also called, in 2001, right? And you see that in the green curve here. So it was launched, marketing launch, and the subscriber numbers picked up until we had a peak. Next one, 10 years later, 4G was launched. Similar picture, although subscriber numbers increased um, more quickly. However, there's also a peak, which is more around this year here. This is too late. Anyway, 5G was launched last year. And as a prognosis, a forecast will pick up also like this. So that's one thing. That's not so difficult. The other thing is that when a new generation is launched, another generation will be phased out. So you see 3G has been launched, 4G has been launched, and 2G, which is the red line, was phased out quite late, by the way, because it was a very long-lasting generation, was phased out um, basically starting in 2012, around 2012. The same thing happens to 3G, and the same thing will happen to 4G, and so forth. Now, if we talk about 4G, we see it a bit better in this picture here. That is the 4G from 2005 to 2021. And you immediately see that 4 G has such a big subscriber base that I think during the beginning of the two, of the twenties, so 21, 22 to probably 25, we see that 4G will be dominating in the markets. And I'm not saying that is a good message or a bad message because I think 4G still has a lot to deliver. But anyway, we talk about 5G here. So the um, evolvement of 5G will, will take naturally some time, like in the generations before. The point I want to make is, and I, in order to be very clear, I put it in a table. Um, that is what we already discussed. Every 10 years, a new generation, which, by the way, means every 10 years, a huge, huge investment. And the investment goes into A, the spectrum, the license for the spectrum, B, technology, the network, C, the handsets and subsidies, and so on, and many, many more things. Now, um, then I put here the peak rollout year. That's um, the, basically the year when uh, the generation started to decline, so the, the phase-out started. And if you look at that and you compare the time from launch to phase-out, you see that was for 2G 21 years, which is a long time. 
For 3G, it was 12 years. For 4G, only 10 years. And I have no idea what it will be for 5G. Probably it will be even shorter. And I do think that is a bad message because the exploitation time of each generation is increasing. However, the initial investment for mobile operators is in the similar range. Yeah, we are just getting quicker and quicker here. And that is um, giving a headache to operators and making things not really easy. And if we be really, really honest and have a closer look at, at the scenario through all these generations, you will see that it's not only 2, 3, 4, and 5G. There are interim generations. They call it 2.5G, 3.5G. And these are driven also by major investments, not as big as the initial generation investment, but still big. These are about features which were missing when the generation was introduced. That was about change in the market demand. Like in 2G, it was about data services, quicker data services. In 3G, the same, even quicker data services. In 4G, it was more about efficiency. It was LTE advanced. So we have interim generations here. And, of course, one question is, you know, how good will be the 5G we are discussing right now and even today? Is it providing all the features really represented, for instance, and which are on all the marketing screens? Or will there be a 5.5G? Or will 6G kick in as early, earlier than we think and provide many features we would have expected for 5G? I think these are questions on the table. And um, combined to that, we have to ask ourselves, or the operators have to ask themselves, where are the revenues from 5G? Where is the capex to build the networks and to build the ecosystem? And where the hell is the return of invest? And this is where I would like to guide you a little bit through now um, to, to give a glance um, how the situation um, how we see the situation today. So here's a wonderful picture, which, by the way, the source you see here is the GSMA, which is the uh, Mobile Association, the Worldwide Mobile Association. And as they are the GSMA Association, they are not known for coming with conservative figures on revenue growth. Definitely not. Yeah, so they are more pushy. Still, here's a picture. Although it's 2018, I can assure you the situation did not change in 19 and 20. What we see here, we see some big operators. Unfortunately, India is missing, which I think is a mistake, but anyway, um, which you see down here. And it shows the revenue growth um, in 2018 from these operators. Now, the interesting curve is the light blue curve because that's the sum. Yeah, that's the total. Um, the red curve, which kind of shows promising, is the curve for non-takeo services like pay TV and other services. The dark blue curve is the curve for uh, core takeo services, mobile and fixed. So, and what you see immediately that the non-takeo services do not contribute much to the overall revenue growth at all. So basically, the dark blue curve and light blue curve are in the same range. Still, please look at the light blue curve. You see that from some exceptions, I can't remember what happened in Turkcell in that year, some extraordinary event. But even in China, it cooled down in 2018 with a low growth. You see China Unicom here. You see China Telecom here. And if you come to these operators, in essence, they have a growth of 1-2% year on year. 
which is quite low. And if we have another look at this picture, which I like very much, and also the GSMA was involved, so it is not conservative, um, you see two things. You see the revenue growth, the global revenue growth of mobile operators. And, um, you know, they like to compare it with the worldwide inflation rate, which is not so much my part. I, I, I look at the revenue growth here of the operators. And the world was okay in 2008 to 2011. We had, you know, 6 to 7% growth, a little dip here, but doesn't matter, so in a good range. Then from 2011, it started to decline. Yeah, and from 2014, it apparently stayed between, you know, 1%, 2% in that range. Now, I ask myself, when I look at that picture, were there effects from 4G? Because, as we said, have seen earlier, 2G was launched in 2011. To be fair, it needs a few years, you know, to have a significant coverage and attract customers. But still, it was launched here, and here it went up. The growth curve of the revenue went the other way, more southbound. And I think that is something at least to think about. Yeah? And apparently, what is true, 4G did not contribute vastly to revenue growth. Maybe there were other factors, but it was not the savior of the world at that time. And we've seen similar slides to what we see for 5G. What is new, what is better, what is faster. Um, it was just a generation before. Now, you know, what, what's always good in this is um, let's look at the customers. What do the customers expect from 5G? What do they want? Um, what is their willingness to pay? And here's also, and forgive me to say it once again, a GSMA uh, a chart, so certainly not conservative. And uh, they asked 15,000, 15,000 uh, customers or potential customers from 60 countries, developed countries around the world. Um, so they had a few choices to answer. As you see, the majority answer, as the question was, what do you expect from 5G? The majority answered um, improved mobile data speeds. I would take that off. That will come. As Rudy explained, that, that's a big step. Yeah. No question. With a little bit of distance, they answered improved mobile service coverage. I don't think so. Because that would mean, I mean, the technology is much more effective on the radio, but the frequencies are also higher, so that kind of compensates itself. Um, and for improved mobile service coverage, the operators would need to build much more sites, much more sites. And we talk about the CAPEX in a minute. So then innovative new services with a, you know, and that's a lot of distance here. That's basically the same range. Innovative services, improved fixed home broadband, lower service costs, not very nice vision. Um, connectivity for previously connected devices and 24% simply don't know. So in the end, we are somehow here between improved mobile data speeds, improved mobile service coverage. There is no word about smart city, smart whatever stuff. Yeah. And it's maybe kind of normal because customers are normally not visionary. Um, so if it if they see a benefit, they take it, but they are not the visionary part of the market. So improve mobile data speeds. If that is it, if that is it, the next question is, what is the willingness to pay? Can operators charge in, um, increased revenue? premium uh, tariffs for 5G. 
performance. Now we have a picture here which um, shows the premium um, tariffs from the first operators who launched. You see here basically it's um, a Korea, Asia, there's Sunrise from Switzerland, Swisscom from Switzerland, Verizon in the US. So what you see on the right, on the left side here, they started to charge a premium on the 5G packages, something like plus 10, partly plus 20 percent. Um, here are a few exceptions. Uh, this is factor of two, but here's a unlimited plan included. So that's that's a start. And that sounds promising. First of all, you said okay, yeah, if that is the plan. The question is now: Is that being adopted by customers? And here it makes sometimes sense to look into the behavior of operators. So operators have always been up for one kind of stigma, charge more for more. And that's what they try here, right? So there's there's more more data speed to charge more for more. That sounds logical, right? However, um, in I think nearly all countries, we have an oligopolistic nature. So we have only a few operators, three Can you still hear me? Because I had a short outage here. Yeah, thank you. So, um, let me restart my presentation because there was some mess up here. So, here we go again. So, I talked about the illegal post oligopolistic uh, market structure. In most of the countries, we have three operators, four in, in lucky countries, five operators. However, it's still a few, and that oligopolistic structure means they influence each other in terms of market behavior. If one moves, the other adopts, kind of. And that happens all the past 30 to 40 years. So that means these premiums we see here, and it was the same in 4G, it was the same in 3G. They are competed away. They are only temporary. It goes very quickly. And 5G will be no different because it's the same market structure. The only thing where I would be optimistic that um, in particular with the latency gains we have, if um, the the markets, the ecosystems able to, to build application on latency gains, that might be a little bit a game changer. But on the other hand, latency um, advantages apply only for a few applications out of the virtual reality area, the augmented reality area, autonomous mobility, um, and there are also many applications where you don't need these high latency. I, I give you an example, and forgive me, I'm not the person saying we don't need this. That is for sure. I'm just trying to shed a bit more light on is there a, a kind of rising tra trajectory which might be slower than we expect in the market. That's that's what I'm trying to say. And, um, you know, I, in, in a recent project, end of last year, we talked um, to, to the gaming industry, for instance, for different reasons. And we talked, of course, about, hey, what do you do with this, this one millisecond latency? And they basically said, you know, in the end, we don't need one millisecond right now. What we would need is we would need a reliable latency. Today, you know, we struggle with we have 25 milliseconds and we have 15 and we have 29. Um, the other minute we have uh, 19. This is what 
what is bad for us. What we need is a reliable quality of service and latency in that sense. But one millisecond is not what we need today. Tomorrow might be somewhat something different. So therefore, I'm, I'm thinking there's a segment for low latency and it's important to exploit that segment, um, but it's not for every application. See, and if now we looked into the revenues and I think and I hope you develop a flavor um, what can happen and what might not happen. We have to ask ourselves, where do we get the CAPEX from or where do the operators get the CAPEX from to build these networks and to finance all of that? And that's what you see wonderful in the industry at the moment, what happens. So there are operators who have a lot of debt, like Telefonica, um, a dramatic debt situation, and there are others who are okay, who simply need to raise the CAPEX for um, their 5G build out. And what we see in the industry, and you're certainly aware, is they are selling their towers, yeah, their sites. And I, I think the biggest year from, uh, what is it, four weeks ago, I think, was that Taxios, the tower company of Telefonica, was taken over by American Tower for an insane multiple of 30.9 of the operating profit. Cellnex is basically buying every month or every two weeks some tower companies, at least around Europe, Vantage is the tower company of uh, of uh, Vodafone. They had an IPO last week, very successful, 12 billion euro, 2 billion to external investors. And there are many, many others. So they are selling their towers. That is leading for mobile operators into a split and change of the value chain. The old value chain was, you know, we acquire sites, so we build infrastructure, we build mobile technology on it, we create services, we sell services in brief. Now, the first part is going away. It will be done by the tower companies who have uh, a different target. And I cannot say if that is a good or a bad development. It can even be a good and supporting development. There's just one thing which I think we can say is that you can only sell your asset once. And um, at some point of time, 6G will come, and you need a new generation to finance. And let's see how that goes financially. But now let me talk a little bit about uh, what I see in 5G. Rüdiger went uh, greatly into the details, which was really super, good overview. I abbreviated a little bit. So for me... From the, from the technology side, 5G offers four main features. The first feature is the highly efficient so-called new radio. Um, that is, that is radio on the, on the wireless side. So what is put on the rooftops, um, which gives a lot of spectrum efficiency, much, much higher throughput. We discussed it and can connect much, much more devices. Additionally to that, it's also energy saving. So if we talk green, um, it helps as well. So it makes much more capacity out of the current spectrum. And that's, I think, a, a big step forward. So what has the customer from that? Probably not too much. The biggest, uh, the biggest benefit is for the operators because it simply is higher efficiency, saves money for the same capacity. The second thing, which I think would be if it would come in time, a major step forward is the so-called network slicing or virtualization. I talk about that again in a minute. So that is giving not only efficiency, but we would be able to offer multiple services 
especially in the direction uh, for industry or under industrial solutions. Yeah, and the time to market would be much uh, shorter. Hang on a second, I come back to network slicing, what it is in detail. Third thing, the high-density network was already mentioned. Massive each and everything. Yeah, there's a high capacity, higher throughput. We have many, many sensors, many terminals. That is certainly one of the biggest steps here. However, if we build a high-density network, let's also be clear, that needs, again, capex. Yeah. And the densifying of networks has always been in the past decades a challenge for operators. They do as much as they need to do, as much as capacity they need to, to deliver. Um, so high-density network, technology-wise, it's there. Capex-wise, I put a question mark. And the fourth very important point was mentioned already, that's the low latency, which I think is most important for augmented reality, virtual reality, and any uh, autonomous uh, driving and, and, and vehicles, which, by the way, are already partly there with or with 5G. If you look at warehouses, for instance, um, there we have it already. It's not yet there on the normal road or street. And... Um, I'm not sure if I should be happy or unhappy about this fact, because I think there is still something to do to make it safe. Nevertheless, when these are the four the four main ingredients, and I know there are many more, but the four big pillars, um, we have to ask ourselves, where are the applications? Yeah. And there's one thing which is super positive about 5G, and really, and Rudiger will probably uh, support me on that one. In all the generations before, the terminals were too late. Yeah? All the generations before. I think 5G is the first time where the phones and the sensors are really there. The first time in Mobilecom's history, uh, which is a good message. So the terminal side is prepared. Um, the question is, where are the value-added services? And if you look at the picture, probably it's too small to read. It's, it's what we know. It's a smart home, the smart city. Um, it's industry automation uh, and many more self-driving cars. Are they dream work? Question number one. Will they come in the next few years? And which of them would also work in 4G, where any startup, any, any new company can even work on today? And I say many of them will work in 4G. So where's the ecosystem? Think about health, for instance, big topic. Um, so yeah, there are many little startups um, developing in the in the health area, but it needs an, an ecosystem. It needs kind of um, boundaries, uh, maybe a bit of regulation where people can rely on. So where is that evolving? Is there a smart city ecosystem, or is any small company developing some solution on its own? And the really important question is, what is the timeline for that? And as I might, indica might have indicated before, probably it's launching slower than we expect. Um, it is launching, so a lot of things are happening, but the market impact is probably slower than we have expected. Now let me come to, to one of my favorites here, which is the network slicing and virtualization. And what is a network slice? 
So a network slice is, in essence, you know, if you imagine this whole network, there's a radio network, a core network, service platforms, transmission, everything is there. And purely virtual, you can cut out a slice and sell it to a client. That does mean this client has a dedicated um, service quality, a dedicated capacity on the, on the radio access side, on the core side, on the transmission side, down to the service platform. It's like a piece, a slice out of the whole network. And for that client, it is important that he can rely on these service, uh, service parameters. He does not need to share it with others. Yeah? And that is, that is about network slicing. And that is indeed uh, the greatest idea, um, one of the greatest ideas I have seen. However, I say I cannot see it coming into to the market. I see trials. I see uh, I see it in the lab. Um, but to have it big time in the field, I would love to see it. But um, at the moment, it's still invisible and far away. So that is certainly would be would be some big potential, especially for the enterprise and B two B business. And here, I would also vote for a positive revenue potential. Now, if that is coming late, um, you know, there's always uh, no no disadvantage without advantage. Um, if that is coming late, that might be a chance for another topic, which is evolving around 5G, and that are opportunities for private 5G networks. And I know that is very much different between the countries and continents here. Um, so private 5G network or campus network is more or less a mid-European term, um, I know in the U.S. you have CBRS, which is not exactly the same, um, because it's, CBRS is apparently unlicensed spectrum. Um, private networks are on licensed spectrum. You have to apply for a license for very small money. And in essence, it does mean, if I look at Germany in that sense, that companies, industrial companies, for instance, like BMW and Mercedes, they apply for a license and they can put their factory control on such a 5G network. And it's their network. They don't share any capacity whatsoever with anybody. It's their network. And that's what I think bears a big, big potential. If network slicing is not going to come, because network slicing would be economically probably the better way. But I don't see it in the, in the next, uh, next, very next future. So let's watch out for private 5G networks. Um, it might be a, a great opportunity here. So, last but not least, that was 5G. And let's be very honest now. I said it in the beginning. Um, 6G is on the horizon. And if the 10-year scheme is valid, in nine years we have a launch of 6G. And uh, it might be that some 5G features, which might be too late, like really a massive IoT, or the, the famous virtual slicing, network slicing, might finally, finally only come with 6G. I don't know. Maybe there's a 5.5G. I'm just seeing that there are two things which are a bit under pressure um, with the implementation. So what, what, you know, I just scanned the news and I, I've read that Finland, which is apparently still a small country, is investing already today 700 million in 6G research. There was a big press release from the EU, I think last week or two weeks ago, going to invest 900 million in 6G research from 21 to 27. So things are already moving on 6G. And 6G will need and will have small and cheap receivers. And that's the precondition for really massive IoTs, which is 
the, 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 the IoT is the Internet of Things, obviously, and the things need sensors, and the things is a mass market, and the mass market needs really cheap, cheap sensors. And um, so that is something to, to develop and maybe to invest in, small, cheap receivers. There are already, of course, developments, but maybe mainly these are spin-offs from universities. Um, and these sensors can be implemented everywhere then, when they are really cheap, much cheaper than for 5G today. We will see frequencies in the terahertz range, um, also unlicensed spectrum probably, to connect all these sensors. That is what they call today, today massive IoT. I dare to assume we will see it in 6G probably, yeah, due to the timing. So the 6G train is already running. There's, there's no question. The only thing I think everybody needs to watch out is that the generations really make up benefits and value add for the clients in order to, to launch finally the ecosystem. Now I'm coming to the end of my, my little presentation. Um, as a conclusion, I'd say mid-term to long-term incremental revenues with 5G, difficult. You've seen the 4G example. Why should it be different. High capex pressure on MNOs on mobile network operators, and that will stay high. The full implementation of major features of 5G we have to observe. Some might come late. Um, the generation, each generation, has to prove tangible added value for the business cases. And once again, I, I mentioned the, the health business case. So that was a, a project with hospitals where 5G services should be brought to hospitals to make them more efficient. And I, without naming details, I can assure you it was a struggle to find any business case for that. It was all nice to have, but to, to have really an efficiency implementation where you say, okay, under the line, we have at least a black zero was uh, nearly impossible. So I think the, the operators, the industry needs to think more about the clients and the customers here. Um, and that leads to that the demand and the ecosystem creation are taking off more slowly than expected. Yeah. Last but not least, if 5.5G or 6G uh, might really provide the full set of 5G features, I don't know. I just know and apologies for being a bit negative here that the takeo industry learned in the past decades to overpromise. That's for sure. Um, and that's what we have to observe and see how it goes, especially if we want to invest in, uh, in certain directions. Um, let's be aware that it might go slower than we expect. And now with that, um, please take it as a comment for a probably spicy discussion we have afterwards. I thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to a discussion. Over back to you, Simon. And if Simon is not directly picking it up, I would like to ask <clears throat> three questions from the chatter to thank you very much for the very insightful presentation, Frank and Rüdiger. To, so to you two both, I would like – I picked three questions from the chatter, if I may – Ask the first one directly to Frank to the network slicing. The question is, does it imply virtual private wireless networks as well, or how is that related to each other? Now, today, virtual private networks is a separate network. Yeah? So basically, you buy a separate network and you apply it in a Bosch factory, BMW factory, whatsoever. Yeah? 
Of course, you can think that um, if the public operators in their public network say dedicate a slice to such a company, it is a kind of private network. Yeah, so that could be the same. But today, private networks, in essence, um, are named to be to be separate networks. Okay, cool. Thank you. Second specific question, I would say more towards security, security of users. Is that related to the bandwidth, to uh, the higher speed, or how does the higher security for the users, where does it come from? Was that to be or to video from me? So could Maybe. you add security, what, what kind of security? So if you ask about health security, that's uh, one topic, or the more the, the, the hack and, and, and yeah. cyber security. So cyber, more cyber data, yeah. Uh, cyber security comes, of course, again from a higher standard of, of encryption. Uh, also, the user identity is encrypted in 5G. And, and also, for example, if you roam in other countries, uh, it's, it's always clear if you call back home that you are really located in this certain network. So there's also the, the network, the network identity uh, will, be, will be shown to the home network. And that helps to avoid a kind of attack which old networks might, might might be possible in old networks. So security in general is in a higher standard. That doesn't mean that this will hold for the next 10 years, of course. Uh, but as usual, this is always a, a run. The standards are better. The, the security standards are higher. And then, of course, uh, the the attacker will learn as well to find find holes in this new technology again. Yeah. Frank, would you okay. like that? I agree. Uh, one open question, which actually triggered quite a discussion afterwards in the chat, are from Jeremy. In an increasingly digitized world, is the 5G upgrade a necessary global infrastructure project? Could you say so? Yeah, so maybe I pick up and then Frank, please add. So there has, has been, of course, a lot of discussion between the operators and the regulator and governments that they should not not take spectrum uh, to, to milk the operators and to, to, to take money out of network investments, but rather sell the network cheap or even give it up for free and then give uh, rollout obligations to the operators. That has been heavily discussed uh, and I was part of this discussion. Some governments are agreeing to it and made it possible that Spectrum was sold cheaper, but, in, but operators has to agree to rollout obligations. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so really taking out a lot of money from operators uh, from government is totally counter counterproductive and countries where Spectrum were given for free, uh, they have far ahead in, on the rollout curves. Thank yeah. you, Rudiger. Thank you, Frank. And thank you, Bjorn. Uh, phenomenal presentations, very interesting, uh, intense, but yet very clear and understandable. And I think in the interest of time, we will go directly to the Nitin's presentation. Uh, so unfortunately, there will be no coffee break for our guests. Uh, we will save on uh, donuts. Uh, so, so thank you very much. And Nitin, uh, the floor is yours. Okay, thank you, uh, Simon. That's three tough acts to follow. So hopefully, I do justice to them. Um, share my screen here for everyone to see. 
So, uh, you know, I think Frank's presentation was a great dovetail into sort of how we're thinking about um, 5G also. So, you know, I think one of the challenges, as Frank said, is really that you have this gigantic CapEx spend and you have this CapEx spend going on over sort of a shortened, you know, lifespan or time frame versus what you saw in previous CapEx cycles for the wireless carriers. And on top of that, you don't have much revenue growth because you effectively have in every country three to four operators, you know, with very little marginal costs. So, you know, when they spend this uh, exorbitant amount of money on a new standard, they really don't get much of a return on that standard in terms of revenue growth, like Frank said, just because, you know, they're all competing down, um, you know, pricing to marginal cost. And so I think that proves a challenge for um, identifying the best investments in 5G, especially just because, again, more CapEx, uh, shorter time frame. So just, you know, without rehashing what uh, Rudiger and Frank said, um, you know, in our in our mind, you know, 5G is really smaller cells, denser antennas and more spectrum. You know, smaller cells, both Rudiger and, uh, and Frank discussed this. You have this densification of the network. Um, you know, as Frank said in sort of his final few points, you know, you have denser antennas and you have um you know, basically these new radios that are effectively allowing for uh, yeah, antennas that are pointed directly to the phones, lots of different in terms of beam forming, lots of different ways in which the antenna and the uh, radio network is getting, you know, faster, smarter, denser to handle this higher uh, you know, number of bits per, per hertz. Uh, and then the last thing is really more spectrum. And you're seeing just such large, as Ruger said, you're seeing such a large increase and the amount of spectrum uh, coming on to the market for 5G. And as Frank said, you're actually seeing the ecosystem uh, in terms of the phones and the antennas and the IoT devices already readied for those antennas. So we think, again, this provides opportunities, but, you know, you know, just as 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 all investors are looking, you know, we're looking for one the companies that don't have to invest this massive capex, but will be beneficiaries of the capex spend, and you know, all of these three traits occurring in sort of the 5G spend. So they're not spending the capex dollars, but they're beneficiaries of others spending the capex dollars. Uh, so what we would call sort of you know capital intensity light software businesses, infrastructure businesses that are benefiting from the spend of others. Um, and then also on top of that, in terms of the companies that are spending the money, we're looking for the ones where, you know, if they are spending, then, um, you know, where they're spending, there's real barrier to entry. So there isn't this massive competing down of pricing, which destroys ROI. And so, you know, one of the areas, as Frank said, network slicing, network splicing, Ruger said also, that's one area where we think there is opportunity and there's opportunity for some of the greenfield networks. So, you know, the second box below greenfield networks to really um to, to really offer uh, a new type of virtualized wireless network that where we think the ROI is high on, you know, that CapEx spend. But that's very different than the legacy operators that Frank mentioned uh, that aren't seeing sort of a very high return on their capital spend. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's how we think about 5G from an investment perspective. Now I'll just get into sort of some of the names uh, where we're invested and they really fit into these four boxes, cable, greenfield networks, as I mentioned earlier, semiconductor infrastructure and cybersecurity, which jives with uh, 
you know, Bjorn's question just now uh, to to Frank and Rudiger. But um, so when we think about cable, um, you know, cable has the largest infrastructure in the ground uh, um, and sort of the last mile, the most last mile connectivity into the home. So the first point, um, largest infrastructure in the ground. Um, you know, as you see above, you have all these small cells and these small cells need backhaul. And so, uh, you know, it's very tough, especially, you know, looking at it from a U.S. perspective, it's very tough for operators, especially, you know, infrastructure providers, as, you know, Rudiger mentioned, this convergence between the fixed network and the wireless network. It's very tough for these fixed network operators uh, to, you know, dig up city sidewalks and roll out fiber to connect to these small cells. So one area where we see opportunity is really in cable, just because cable has the largest, you know, network of infrastructure into the ground. Uh, and so that infrastructure into the ground is already electrified. So, you know, if you have, uh, in, as you densify the infrastructure in small cells, you know, you can very easily see a small cell being built, you know, on the street below me here in New York, and um, have that effectively plug into the, you know, charter communication spectrum network that's already in the ground, that's already servicing homes. So we think that's a way for cable to play on, you know, the network that they've already built and the CapEx that's already spent, where they can sort of get an indented revenue stream through 5G backhaul. Um, the other way we think, you know, as in all of the sort of enabling uh, new applications that, uh, Frank mentioned, we think that, you know, that connection into the home is so, so valuable. Uh, just because cable is still the fastest way into the home, you know, with DOCSIS 3.1 at one gigabyte per second, when you get to DOCSIS 3.2, you're at sort of multiple sort of gigabytes up to 10 gigabytes per second with very little, again, capital spent to increase those speeds into the home. So, you know, you have a video game or you have somebody using one of these, you know, this, this mass densification of the IoT network that Rudiger mentioned. Um, all of those devices need to work in the home, too. So that means more CapEx spend um, and sort of outside the home for the wireless operators. But for the cable operators, that spend has already happened. So it means just greater uh, usage of broadband into the home, uh, which we think means pricing power for the cable operators and, you know, revenue growth in that side of the business that you're not seeing in sort of the wireless companies as they build out 5G. So, you know, a couple of the ways we're playing that is in the U.S. we're playing uh, charter communications, which we think is great management team, great network, we're getting it at a great price, uh, and there's a lot of consistent continued upside in terms of free cash flows in that business to keep generating high returns uh, and sort of a compounding of, of, of the stock price. Um, another way we're playing it is Liberty Latin America, LILAC, uh, which is a Latin American converged operator. So they own wireless and they own cable assets in, you know, across Latin America, and they own the undersea fiber cable connecting uh, North America to, excuse me, uh, the U.S. to uh, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. So we think that fiber network is very valuable. We think the convergence of the wireless and the and the wireline um, is valuable in terms of picking the spots to deploy 5G versus deploying fixed. Uh, we think the returns are a lot higher, again, from this network, that fixed network that they have. And we also think there's an incredible roll-up opportunity to, compete, to continue to roll up Latin, small Latin American cable companies and realize synergy values. So those are two of the ways we think uh, we're playing cable, and we think cable, again, benefits from massive 
data infrastructure spend in 5G. Um, the next way is really greenfield networks that I already mentioned. So, you know, we're playing this through DISH networks. We think Charlie Ergen is doing some really interesting and incredible things uh, with DISH in terms of the spectrum that he's purchased, which we think is worth more than the market is valuing the overall business. And we think that he is playing in a great spot with the um, network slicing that uh, Frank mentioned, where, you know, DISH, as they build their new wireless network, they can effectively slice out the network and create what Charlie calls the AWS of wireless networks um, by slicing private networks for, you know, the FANG companies of the world. Uh, we also are playing this through Reliance Industries in India, where we think they have a phenomenal um, virtualized network. And as they roll out 5G, we think that they can play in sort of this uh, network slicing. And, you know, the the, the, the point to mention here, as I mentioned earlier, is really that these are greenfield networks, right? They're starting from a blank, as Charlie says, they're starting from a blank sheet of paper, so they can do a lot of things with virtualizing their software that allows them to get closer to network slicing than, you know, some of the legacy operators uh, can do because they're layering you know, 5G on top of 4G on top of 3G. Uh, and so, you know, we think that's sort of a very interesting place for us to play where CapEx is being spent, but we think the returns are higher given the differentiation on the network slicing side. Uh, the next way we're really playing this is semiconductor infrastructure. So clearly there's a massive spend on all these small cells, these denser antennas and the radios, and, you know, the spectrum that's sort of being lit up uh, amongst these small cells and denser antennas. And so one of the ways we're really looking at that, and, and, and again, in terms of what Rudiger mentioned around IoT spend, uh, we think DRAM is a, a great way to play some of these trends. You're seeing more DRAM needed in the small cells, in the radios, you know, at the device level in IoT. Uh, you've seen massive consolidation in the industry where you had something like nine operators in 2012, and that's basically come down to about three to four operators today uh, in terms of DRAM. DRAM manufacturing, uh, and so we think they have a lot more pricing power, and, uh, you know, with sort of uh, mid to high teens revenue growth, uh, you get uh, 25 to 30% free cash flow growth, so we're playing that through Micron, uh, which we think, again, great business, great management team um, running and building that business and allocating capital. We're also playing it through NXPI, where they have some interesting technology on the gallium arsenide side, which handles the higher frequencies that um, Frank mentioned need, that are needed for, and I guess Rudiger and Frank both mentioned, that are needed for um, uh, some of the different spectrum on 5G. Uh, and so we think that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're building in terms of the infrastructure. So they, they capture some of the spend from uh, that 5G infrastructure uh, that the carriers need to spend. Another way we're playing it um, through a, a couple of our different uh, strategies at ARS is uh, uh, Magnetship, which is a small semiconductor company that's doing a lot in power management for, um, you know, like Frank said, kind of keeping uh, the power levels constant for the more bandwidth that you're creating through 5G. Uh, you know, the last way in terms of this last box on the right that we're playing uh, playing 5G is really cybersecurity. Uh, and, you know, Bjorn mentioned this in his questions just now, but with all of these IoT devices, with this sort of interconnected world, we've all heard the stories about, you know, the fish tank that, uh, the connected fish tank and, you know, that the hackers were able to come in through the fish tank and compromise an entire 
their, you know, company's network. And so there's so many situations like that as we sort of interconnect these networks um, that create so many points of interconnectedness, which means so many more points of entry for hackers. And so cybersecurity, as we know from the SolarWinds attack and we know from the recent Microsoft attacks, is so, so important right now and is going to be one of the single biggest places of spend, you know, as all these IoT devices are being rolled out. So, you know, we have a number of interesting ways that we're playing that in, you know, our different ARS strategies. But, uh, you know, one way is a company called Tufin, which uh, handles firewall management. So, you know, basically universalizing rules across different firewalls. So, you know, as you see more firewalls come into networks at each of these points of entry, we think, uh, you know, they benefit from uh, sort of this sort of, you know, firewall uh uh, increase the number of firewalls, uh, increase in uh, just different firewall providers and, you know, creating one software layer above all the firewalls. So, you know, I would just frame all of this and sum it up as, again, we have to be very thoughtful in terms of where we're playing the opportunities. Um, we are, we think that we're playing it through a mix of really great risk rewards in terms of businesses that have stable, steady, free cash flow um, and are really, you know, capturing sort of incremental revenue streams from 5G. Uh, and we also think we're playing it in some ways where we think, you know, some of these names have three to five to ten percent, ten times upside just as we see 5G spend sort of occur more and more. And again, as Frank said, some of that is you know, back end loaded. So over the next three to four years, as these businesses capture some of this spend, we think there's, you know, massive upside in these names. So again, 5G is, we're hearing about it a lot, but the spend is happening in sort of different chunks and different places over time. So I think part of our you know, opportunity as public market investors is sort of figuring out where that first leg of spending is happening. Then where's the second? Where's the third? It's positioning ourselves in each of these legs at different times. It's, you know, a breadth of ideas. And really, the secret sauce is in, again, position sizing, uh, the risk reward and uh, the time frame. So, you know, hopefully that's that's sort of helpful in a lot of the different ways that we're playing Um yeah, 5G and our strategies at ARS. I'll turn it back to you, Simon. Well, with the, uh, that was fast, and I want to buy all of them. I don't know how <laughs> it will happen, so maybe we should invest in your fund uh, just for the heck of it to see how it works. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure of uh, having you with us all this time and listening to us, and I'm sure you were very focused on uh, our presentations and didn't get distracted by iPhones. Uh, but now I think uh, we have to uh, start enjoying our uh, interaction on our uh, new set of data and discuss it and we should uh, go into the breakout rooms and discuss it. Uh, the speakers will be available in every room and I hope you will ask all the questions, have fun, champagne and um, other fun things. Uh, with this, Mark, can you please ask uh, Inessa to start um, placing us in the right rooms? Do, do I want to be with you. Do you want to maybe let, let us, okay. Do you want to, before we do that, do you want to let people know uh, who else might be available? We have Rudiger, Frank, Nitsen, also Vani, Bjorn, um, and 
uh, late edition um, from the Telefonica 5G. Helena. Helena, right. Helena. Yeah, just to let them. Maybe they could just introduce themselves before we, we break oh, up. Oh, that's a great idea. Maybe, Vaughn, you want to? Sure, I'll jump in. So I am Wani Rao, and uh, as part of Edge Venture Group, I really am focusing on the software aspect of things to come because 5G is actually being implemented. So we heard a lot about the infrastructure uh, from the speakers today, as well as from Nitin uh, more strategically. I take a little bit of a different view. I look at the software view and the application and the enablement and would be happy to talk about use cases and how we're seeing it being implemented, breaking it down into the parts that are being built today to enable some of the things that we're hoping for within the next decade. Maybe, and Helena? Thank you. Yeah, lovely. Um, thank you, Mark. Hi, everyone. Uh, Helena here. I work as the 5G Accelerator Manager at Wire UK. Um, Waira is the Telefonica's the corporate accelerator um, and the largest global open innovation hub. Um, currently, we are uh, running different programs, um, designing them in an open innovation manner, helping startups co-innovate with large organizations. So I would be very happy to talk about uh, the startups that we're uh, working with and also some of the 5G use cases that we're exploring. Thank you. Thank you. Bjorn, uh, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Of course. My, <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Bjorn from Matchmaker Ventures, uh, Chief Growth Officer. What we do is we work in the interconnection between startups, scale-ups, and corporates. So quite driven on the ones on innovation and on the other on collaboration, meaning making the equation one plus one equals three possible. My pleasure to be here. Yes, and Bjorn has this wonderful uh, Austrian Viennese accent, so hopefully all of you just had the schnitzel. And, and uh, now uh, let's uh, invite uh, Bjorn and uh, our other esteemed speakers for the panel. Uh, Bjorn, the floor is yours. I'm here. Is, did everybody return already? How much, just a general question before I start, how much time do we have left before we uh, completely terminate it? Uh, we have at least 25 minutes, but uh, some people may stay over time. So it's, uh, it depends on uh, uh, the number of questions, I guess, for many of us. Cool. So first Thank one, you. I will try to read the chatter. I think Vani will support me with questions. So feel free to just write your questions. I see there has been some questions in the meantime which I didn't see. So if you still have open questions related to 5G, please you know, put them in the chat. I will try to follow up on those. Um, so just starting with recapping, I think, at least two questions which I found interesting on the chat which I would like to ask our panel, panel, panel participants. First one, 5G backbone. Um, the question was, is it, is it required to have a proper 5G backbone in place to enable a proper digitalization in the different countries? So is it a prerequisite kind of thing? And maybe I start with, because it's easy for me, with Frank or Rüdiger. I cannot see everybody. Yeah, okay, let's start. So, yeah, sure. I mean, 
increasing data rates needs increasing backbone capacity, of course. So the backbones, they definitely need fiber. You need actually fiber up to the side, more or less. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, that you might can use also cable uh, to provide uh, capacity to the side. But at the end, the capacity and the backbone is, of course, very important. And because the data rates are increasing, that's not just related to 5G. It's simply 5G allows customers to have even higher data rate. And that means the total capacity of your backbone has to increase as well. Sure. Yeah, exactly. My second question, actually building on that, there was the question, is 5G or why should I 5G if I have also fiber, uh, fiber optic solution, if I have Wi-Fi, the new Wi-Fi 6? So how is that? Why do I need 5G if I actually have nice fiber and Wi-Fi solutions? goes a little bit in the same direction, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think we had this discussion in our breakout room a bit, uh, because that is frequently asked, and it's a very good question, by the way. So um, you run into it, you know, why not Wi-Fi 6? Well, Wi-Fi 6 is, in the end, you know, not much more than the generation before. It uh, has a bit higher security, but there are a few things. So Wi-Fi is not built for voice calls. Um, yes, it works somehow, but only somehow. Um, second thing, Wi-Fi is not built for mobility. It cannot provide seamless mobility. And as Rüdiger rightly said in our uh, breakout room, it is not licensed spectrum. So everybody can, you know, share spectrum in that way. And Wi-Fi networks today, at least in the 2.4 gigahertz band, but also meanwhile in the 5 gigahertz band sometimes, are totally overloaded. So if you want to have a decent quality or whatsoever, Wi-Fi is, is not the solution. And eventually it requires wiring, right? Also, the Wi-Fi, the router, will require some wiring. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, every, as I said earlier, every wireless network, every wireless network is in the end a wireline network. There's just an antenna or a router, and then it's a wireline network. That's that's a fact. And the more capacity you need to channel, the the bigger the pipe has to be. And um, see, if you have uh, 10 gigabit uh, per second in 5G, you have to have at least a 10 gigabit uh, bit per second pipe. Uh, whether that is now cable with DOCSIS 3 or any fiber technology, that, that's it. Thank you. A question coming? No. Oh, I thought there was a question from the audience. Also, free, feel free to use the mic, of course, and just shoot in your questions. So I might Always hold it for a second in case I sense there's a question coming. Otherwise, I've prepared some questions. Um, again, we elaborated a little yep, bit yeah. about quite... Can I ask one question? Can I, I, just, Please, I was curious for, the, for an Asian perspective, and I'm going to call on you, Brian, just because you're the closest one. You're sitting in Manila. You invest. You like to invest in your backyard. And we've talked about how Asia is so steps ahead of us. What, and, and Ines is on... Has a she's getting 5G in Korea, I think this weekend. But what are you seeing in the Asia? I always said that it seemed like Japan was a step ahead, Korea just behind, then then Europe, and then then the U.S. Is that still the case? Applications as well, seems. Yeah, but it looks like that. And I think you know, in, in even in Southeast Asia, Singapore and Hong Kong are way ahead of everyone else. I think the major difficulty in the emerging markets, particularly in Vietnam or Philippines or Indonesia, is just that the land area is so big and primarily to, to do 5G, the capex is very significant. And then especially for the telcos that we speak to and oligo oligopoly 
stick market structure exists, you know, as expected. And a lot of the technologies they're adopting isn't really 5G still, in my opinion. It's more like 4G plus. Or they like to say, you know, millimeter wave or, you know, they like to use other terms. But then, you know, when you do it on the latency test, you do not see it as real 5G as it should be implemented. So I think it's a watered down version. And a lot of it is just marketing. And that's also the perception on the floor. You know, the question is, you know, why do I need a 5G phone or a 5G plan if my 4G one works just fine? So that revenue uplift of 1% to 2% is accurate also in this part of the world. And, yes, we do see more adoption in the Japanese market, primarily because they're more developed. And I guess there is also strong government commitment to rolling out of 5G. But for the emerging markets, really 4G is the dominant technology and continues to be so. And my my question on the floor really is, is there different flavors of 5G that we need to be aware of? Or it may be more advanced version of 4G being masqueraded as 5G so that, you know, we'd be more educated also on this front. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. So so 5G is the whole network, but mainly you talk about the new radio. So if you have a 5G radio, but if the 5G radio is connected to the still to the 4G legacy networks, which is usually the case, then you cannot benefit from the full spectrum of new features like the, the shorter response time and the quicker round, uh, rounded time. So you're completely right, yes. And 5G, if you're 5G on the radio, it doesn't mean that you have a full-fledged 5G network behind. I'm actually asking a question, a little bit building on that, because we heard the US, Europe, and Asia, and Asia splitting in between the very advanced and the emerging markets. Okay, Europe having this downside of, we heard this, uh, three or four operators only per country, but then having roughly how many countries do we have? Oh, way too many. Compared to the US, who is having the advantage of having, uh, having only one country and only a few operators which could share the CapEx, why is the US behind? Or is the US, in fact, behind? I'm, I'm really asking the question. Does anybody, Guido or Frank, has some insights on that? John Pescator. Or maybe somebody from uh, from Telefonica, from Vira, has any insights on that? So John, John Pescator was the CEO of a public company called, well, now it's called Askus, uh, but it was uh, the form, former Nextel Spectrum that was trying to be repurposed, but he's, he was an early employee at Nextel, so he's seen the landscape here evolve. Yeah, and just repeat the, the, the question quickly in terms of the U.S. and it's uh, being further behind or? Uh, is, is it behind, question mark? So we heard some advanced Asian countries are leading. Then we have the emerging Asian countries. Uh, Europe a little bit lagging behind, but also having the challenge of these multinational countries behind. So a lot of supplier, let's say. I would sure. assume the U.S. having the advantage, huge country, only three or four operators. So how is it the U.S. Well, in the global race, currently? I guess my two cents would be that, it, not that it's behind, but the U.S. Has, has typically had difficulty moving in one direction as, uh, you know, for the, for the entire country. I mean, standards and, you know, so I, I think that hurt uh, early on that, the operators didn't move together and 
Um, so I think there are some uh, innovative things going on from CBRS to private networks, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe overall, if you looked at it together and tried to add it up, uh, you might, you might say that they're behind and, uh, but I, but I think, uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, unique things happening and, uh, a lot of opportunity in the U.S. right now. I think you also in the U.S. also have just sort of a difference in landmass, right? And so when you hear the operators talking about 5G rollouts, they consistently refer to NFL cities. And so you just have a larger population concentration in the top 30, 35 cities in the country. And so you have um, a much better, quicker rollout there than you do in some of the super rural areas. And we were just talking about this in the breakout is you saw this with the tower industry in the U.S., you know, 20, 30 years ago, where each wireless operator historically um, was building their own towers. And then it just got when you were talking about building the entire country, it got too onerous in terms of capital investments. So the towers all got divested and then they all started, you know, becoming multiple multi-tenants on a single tower. And so, you know, I think and you see this with 5G, right, when you're talking about just such a massive infrastructure build, um, you know, you'll see it in the NFL cities faster in the next three, four five years. But the rural areas, I think, is where you have the big gap. Um, and that's just the nature of the country, I guess. I would also add that some countries do have some ability to leapfrog a little bit because they didn't have this full deployment of 4G or they didn't have a complete deployment of it. Whereas the U.S. has had a complete deployment. It's not necessarily behind it's just it's adding on, and some of these other countries have a lesser version, and they're able to move a little bit faster with all of these other advantages that um, some of the other gentlemen have discussed. Yeah, one one aspect is probably also that in the U.S. is not the spectrum situation is not not uh, clear in the country. So you have different different spectrums in different areas, and maybe John can tell much more about it. Uh, that in Europe, at least for the countries, it's more clear. So all over Europe, it's also quite quite a diverse picture. But in each country, you have a clearer picture and just one standard. So, so that helps, of course, a lot. And in the U.S., also spectrum is extremely expensive. So, so like Japan, who made very cheap, that helped a lot to 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 uh, to sponsor the rollout. And in South Korea, for example, also they started very 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 early. And I think they have the spectrum free of charge even. So in, in U.S. spectrum is quite or very expensive. That is also hindering the rollout. I just see the question in, in the chat as well was the ban from, from specific Huawei, a Chinese supplier for hardware. How is it currently processing or proceeding in the U.S.? And I think actually probably you know better really guys. Well, in Europe, partially it's also at least under observation. So who's filling the gap? How, how smooth is that running? Yeah, and and there's even a bigger problem. The bigger problem is the patent, the IPR topic, because Huawei is owning by far the biggest bunch of patents on 5G. That means if anybody will roll out 5G, he has to pay less a license uh, to to Huawei. Which is probably not so known. So in the past, like if you if you go back to 3G, Qualcomm was a big money maker on on the patents. Qualcomm owned most of the 3G patents and made a fortune out of it. Uh, today, the 5G is dominated by Huawei and and others. So ZTE also for China is holding the big the biggest part of 5G patents. That and means if the European 
And that is part of the standard. So whenever and wherever you use 5G, you have to pay license fees. And, and that is mostly going to China. And I think in addition, there is a, also an economic or financial argument coming with it. Because when Huawei turned up in the market, they turned up as price breaker in all markets, basically. So they went clearly under and the others had to move. So they brought prices down by far. And if one competitor, um, no matter if he's from China or not, is breaking away or banned, we have less competitors. And that means rising prices um, and equipment prices, for instance. And that means even more capex. And that means the problem is getting bigger. So, Thank you for highlighting. This is Luke. I have a quick question off of that last question. So is that the reason that there's such a push for maybe uh, at least the talk about 6G because China kind of dominates that in the licensing space to, to kind of uh, kind of jump that issue? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, and, and, and everybody will remember when Donald Trump talked about 6G and we have to be a push on 6G. So that was certainly a part of it that, that the US is, is really has almost missed 5G, uh, and, and therefore, of course, it's dominated by, by Asia and then South Korea and China. So certainly, uh, there should be a big push that, that, that the Western world should should be back on 6G. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. I just said, read the Helena's unfortunately leaving. We had the second person from from viral because I just wanted to ask the question. We heard a lot about the telcos, about the, the governments in the countries. Now the question, my question was like, what are startup scale-ups in here? How big is the potential can there really be a game changer uh, and what's the proper form to, to collaborate or to enhance I can, those? I can speak to that. Yeah. So in Go ahead. Yeah, I can say for this question and then I'll just have to jump off. But go ahead, Rani. OK, excellent. Well, I'm, in my standpoint, I think the the. The market is gigantic in terms of what is possible with software. So we've talked a lot about hardware and telecom, and that's 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 a this is a, there's a lot of barriers that have to be put into place. With software, it's a little bit different because right now the developments can happen so that as 5G is rolled out into various markets, those companies can be positioned to scale. They can get the benefit of 5G. And what I mean by this, it's the type of companies that are able to see today that as 5G is rolled out, we have access to more data, faster computing power, these sorts of things that will help us solve the problems that we're solving better and faster and more efficiently. They're visionaries, they're future. So what do I mean by this? So as you start to see the, the infrastructure rollout, you have a lot of hardware going out there. That means you have a lot of sensors and a lot of data inputs. You need to be able to have software and technology in place that can recognize the data, that can categorize it, that knows what to do with it. Does it go back to the cloud? Can it be ignored? Can it be processed locally? Those That's a huge market. That market has very, very small, uh, it's been very, very small um, impact in our lives today. As you add new mediums of data available, the capacity for machine learning and AI 
to enhance our decision making, to augment our experiences becomes that much larger and better. And that's really how we expect to feel 5G as opposed to being able to just download something faster on my phone. Thank you. Interesting insights. Still somebody wants to comment from the Vira team? Selena still there or? Yeah, um, yeah, no, most definitely. That, that was, that was a really great summary. Um, in general, 5G, we need to see it as, uh, like most of the capabilities of 5G is going to be beneficial, um, for businesses, right? Not really for individuals. Like it's, it doesn't really make a difference on how I watch Netflix or, you know, the music I download. Like that's not really good. That's not where we see the impact. Um, and in general, uh, startups and scale-ups are also um, going to be the first adapters of this new technology stack. So um, uh, it's really important for large corporations to also understand that innovating with these startups is the way to go and it's the way to future-proof their business as well, because these startups continuously innovate um, and Uh, they are probably going to be, you know, discovering many new use cases that we haven't even thought of yet now as uh, as a large corporation, as Telefonica, for instance. So um, it's um, it's crucial for everyone to engage with startups to future proof the business and to stay ahead um, of uh, where we are right now. Thank you. I'll just model that to what Helena said. So in terms of the, and thank N you, Helena. Nizubik, give me one second. Uh, Simon, sure. I have to, you, you keep going, everyone. I, uh, I have to go into the city for a doctor's appointment. Um, my once a month visit to, the, to New York. So I'll, I'll keep this open. You can, you can use it for the rest of the day, the night. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Carry on. Cheers, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so I, I think um, ju just from the, the wireless telephonical perspective, something um, Helena mentioned in the smaller breakout room I thought is worth highlighting is how Telefonica is positioning to encourage and nurture that ecosystem. So the wireless brand, as you know, the open innovation hub of, of Telefonica has been around for nearly 10 years. And in the UK, we've been around for about eight years. We've accelerated over 300 companies. We've invested in two-thirds of them. We've done business with many of them as well, trading millions of pounds. So with 5G specifically, we were best placed to apply for a bid. Um, this was a government grant that allowed us to um, create a set of clusters in the West Midlands. So three clusters in the West Midlands in, in England and with three sort of different missions. So looking at that pipeline from educating um, the ecosystem system and startups and entrepreneurs about what 5G is and how they can look at applications within that space to supporting them with the ideation phase and, you know, working with them on the scale up and the rollout. I know Helena mentioned a, a sports car company, one of our portfolio companies currently in the UK that's working on autonomous car road sweepers, you said? Yeah, so uh, yeah. they're deploying the world's first um, AI autonomous road sweeper. Um, and Indeed. yeah, they're part of our current green innovation cohort. Um, so we're basically, um, we are running an open innovation accelerator um, and we have 10 amazing clean tech companies 
um, that are working on different uh, verticals. Uh, that is water, built environment, transport, circular economy. Um, and these startups are leveraging um, 5G capabilities um, and bringing in new solutions to the market. And we are going to be hosting a demo day for them uh, pretty soon next week. We don't have the link uh, today to share. Uh, but it would be really great um, to have uh, everyone there. And I will try to uh, reach out to Mark and find a way to um, uh, reach everyone here. Cool. Thank you. I see Kim is raising his hand. I would have to drop off. But, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you. No, thank you very much for, for being here and answering those questions. Actually, you answered already the second question, which was more like how to work with startups and scale-ups and how to incorporate their innovation ideas. So with the uh, uh, Vira approach, you expressed a little bit insights there. And I want to go to Ken now, as he was raising quite a while his hand already. Ken. Um, thank you. I had a conversation with uh, Nitin at the breakout room, but uh, in order to just come back to the discussion with Frank and Rudier, um, amazing discussion on uh, 5G. I mean, I've been in telecom for the past six years, and this was one of the best overview I've ever heard. Uh, I think you have to sometimes listen to something multiple times until it really grasped, and today was that day for me. Um, I think one of the questions was about application. What is the application, as uh, one of the panelists mentioned about Netflix, Spotify, performance will not change with 5G. I think the best application is perhaps in mobility. Uh, when I say mobility, that means, you know, we have home, we have office. The transit between the home and office uh, would be the space that I think would be amazing for 5G. And not for autonomy, uh, because, you know, autonomous car really don't need 5G that much to operate as if, you know, because they have all the capability in the vehicle in itself, but perhaps for bringing a more high-fidelity uh, media consumption on 5G. Uh, it happens when autonomous car <laughs> is in operation where you don't have to drive, but today you could actually have it. If you have a, uh, on a low scale, if you have an Uber driver, all the passenger could actually have a uh, consumption of media as if uh, they are sitting at their home. But the, I mean, I co-founded also a car company, and one of the concepts we are w working is the type of a passenger car, multi-passenger car, where each person is in, in its own cabin. It could darken the cabin. It could, you know, be separated from all the other passenger. And I think that would be a great application for 5G because it requires a high-speed connectivity. It also becomes a communication center. So you're really within the congested area of the city. So now your one hour drive is not just one hour listening to the music or being on a clubhouse, uh, listening to the, you know, discussion. It would be having a, uh, work. So you work for six hours and one hour going and coming back is in this uh, vehicle. So just wanted to mention this could be a good application. And Kim, I think that's a great point because uh, when we think about startups and, and what we're looking at, again, it's things that are already developed or being developed that can be utilized today that can be scaled with 5G. And you brought up two things that I'm looking at pretty closely along the lines of optimization, so being able to prioritize 
where resources should be diverted, whether that's energy or security, or in this case, how you, you experience you know, your, your commute, is basically what you've described, or some sort of motion, and how you can prioritize uh, the access to that media. But the other thing that's been growing, and it's a strange it's a strange phenomenon that we experience and that we feel is this content creation and these audience platforms, these engagement sites that have just taken over the market in, the, in really the last 10 years. And you really want to think about 4G and what it did. It brought us Facebook. It brought us TikTok. <laughs> it enabled us to just consume media in ways that we haven't had a chance to before. And so there was a hope or there's this expectation that there should be a productivity rise with it that we haven't necessarily seen. But with 5G, you have the introductions of new mediums and new data elements that can enhance that content, that can really augment your experience with it. We can't describe it because we cannot experience it right now, but that is what I expect is coming. I'm still watching those engagement platforms. I'm still watching those content creators because those people who know how to use that data and then relay it back and, and really optimize your day, that's going to be how we revolutionize. That's really going to be how we enjoy the benefits of 5G. And Varni, um, just to close on the comment that you made, right now each one of us could be in a vehicle going from point A to point B. As long as our communication doesn't drop, as long as we are not disrupted by another person wanting to exit the car, uh, disrupting our train of thought or communication. It doesn't matter where we are at home, at the office or in the transit. Even if you are, let's taking, I mean, on the, uh, let's say on the lower class of the economic that do not own a car, take a bus. You say, don't take a bus. Sit in this vehicle. It will still take an hour. But during the time that you're sitting here, I want you to answer a call or I want you to be, uh, you know, moderating another uh, conversation. So all of these use cases help, you know, we reach something that we all say COVID could bring, which is a connected planet. So thank you for having me. As I usually say it on Clubhouse, I'm done. Good. Thank you very much. It was almost a nice closing. Um, still, the chat is open. Still free, free to call in if you have questions. We still have most of our very nice uh, keynote speakers here, experts, people from around the globe. So feel free. Maybe um, as long as people are thinking about new questions, I'd like to comment to Cam because I think it's, it's an excellent topic and it's an important topic, this autonomous driving, because it's all over the place. And uh, I think there's, there's one point I came across between 5G and probably 6G, and that is the amount of sensors which are being used in a car. It's a technical topic, though. Yeah. But um, the amount of sensors in a car in a 6G world, in a visionary 6G world, is increasing by far because, you know, every little thing is being measured and censored and then combined. And that is what, what can't be achieved with, uh, with 5G. 5G is good, you know, for a few sensors and, uh, um, driving the cars in a, in a certain area. But 6G would be then more about a, the famous, sorry for the marketing speech, but for the connected world around the car as well. Yeah. So you have at every street lamp, you have a sensor. That is the vision of, of 6G, which is probably the next stage of autonomous driving, if I may call it like that.
Just wanted to follow on, on Frank's comment. So when the, you look at the car in smart city, car is actually, even though I co-founded the car company, car has a conflict with the smart city because car prevents people to be on the road as a pedestrian or as a bicyclist. So now if you really want to have a safe car, not only this is, so basically I'm not against car, I'm against car ownership. Because car ownership, especially when the driver says, I like to drive the way I like. Nobody can tell me what, and if a police doesn't like it, could give me a ticket. But in reality, the number of the police in the road is very limited, and if the person is rich, could always pay the ticket. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so the question is, how can we have a more smart, compassionate city where car and a bicyclist and a pedestrian could coexist, mingle together? Yeah. It, like a music that plays today, the music in the smart city is a, not a nice music. So, um, yeah. so the type of car that I'm mentioning not only is multi-passenger, but also it's aware of all the pedestrian, all the bicyclists, and it's not autonomous. It has a driver, but it works as if it is autonomous. Yeah, but it, it needs to communicate with the world around it. But as I said, a lot of sensors, and uh, maybe there's even a priority control. You know, you give uh, way first of all the bicycles, then a minute later to the cars, whatever happens in the smart city. Um, but therefore, it needs a million sensor world, and that's probably more a 6G topic then, but that's a way forward, certainly. Yeah. Whatever software we put on that to, to control it in a certain way, but uh, the sensors are needed first. Yeah, um, this is Luke. Just to add on to that a little bit, I, I know that in the presentation, you talked about V2V communication, but uh, I know companies, there's very few companies that are focused on the infrastructure to vehicle and vehicle to in infrastructure type um, um, areas, which is, is probably, you know, a, a big challenge with uh, integrating with the current infrastructure that we have with uh, all those different type sensory um, technologies. So interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking into the, trying to look into all faces, which is, uh, you know, slightly challenging. I don't see any new questions in the chatter. Otherwise, I would hand the word maybe back to uh, Simon, if he's still there. Uh, uh, Bjorn, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone who is participating in the discussion and special the, uh, guests. Uh, and, uh, of course, all the wonderful speakers and the panel uh, members. Uh, I think we had a very productive discussion. I think uh, Inessa will summarize it and put it, uh, uh, you know, in a file so that, uh, let's say, I, I'm going to review uh, the records because I learned so much, and uh, I'm sure that if I listen again to what you said today, I will learn even more. I will understand much better the whole space. For me, it was extremely productive, and I'm sure for many other uh, as, uh, or listeners, uh, it was the same. And I'm very impressed that many of our listeners came from all parts of the world. Uh, Brian is from the Philippines, and uh, there were people from India. Alina uh, is from uh, Sweden. Um, so it's uh, extremely exciting to understand that, you know, we on this platform unite all people from all over the world. And uh, thank you very much for being with us through these late hours. 
uh, and uh, through all this long presentation. And we look forward to seeing you again at our next Deep Dive session, which will be mostly dedicated to uh, startups, those who, which can help us understand the space even better. Thank you. Thank you very much, all. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, everybody. Thank you.